0: Places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together, and your podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. It's the season of creation. Let's talk about rivers. continuing through the season of creation with our fourth episode. Today's guest is someone who was actually one of my first teachers about the environment and care of creation as a kid, so I'm so happy to have him as a guest today to share his expertise, his experience, and his deep faith as well. Today I'm so excited to welcome Todd Garcia-Bish, who is the Director of Environmental Education at Camp Luther Lynn in Prospect, Pennsylvania. Todd has a Bachelor's Degree of Science in Chemistry from Gettysburg College and a Master's Degree of Science in Environmental Science from Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. Since coming to Lutherland, Todd has been involved in the maple sugaring program. He oversaw the construction of the Terra Day Homestead, which is this amazing straw bale house that's there, and has greatly expanded the public and private school field trips that occur throughout the school year. Todd is married to Shaney, and together they have two children, Juliana and Micah. Together, they've recently constructed their own straw bale home that they use to educate students, friends, and neighbors about energy conservation and sustainability. In his free time, Todd likes to hike, bike, and kayak. And as a family, this is so fun, they do Star Wars cosplay, which we just <laughs> think is great. And another fun fact, Todd and Shaney were on summer staff when I was a camper at Lutherland like decades ago. <laughs> So, it's so fun um, to welcome you to All Places Together, Todd, to do what you've been teaching me my whole life, which is to care about the environment.
1: Thanks, Colleen. It's great to be here.
0: So, tell us, how did you first get into environmental science? Well,
1: it actually starts here at Lutherland, believe it or not. Um, I had just finished my freshman year at Gettysburg College and I had been hired to work at Lutherland for the summer, and that's where I met Murr Youngquist-Thoreau. Oh, who yes. was the first director of environmental education here, and I spent the summer really enjoying going on nature hikes with her and learning from her. She was just a wealth of knowledge, and that's really where uh, my delve into environmental science started was way back there. in my first summer as a counselor, um, I also then counseled the next summer. Unfortunately, the way the Gettysburg chemistry program went at the time, m- my third summer, I had to stay at school for a research class. And that's when I really decided that being in a lab was not what I wanted to do.
0: Oh, that was not the fit. You wanted to be Outside in the nature,
1: not in nature, exactly. (laughs) Spending all summer in a basement laboratory, not fun at all.
0: Yeah, no,
1: so that's when I realized I needed a different profession.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of just like every week Todd's campers are going on all the hikes. Like, like...
1: (laughs) well, at the time, we also did skill crafts, and Murr led a Nature hiking skill craft, and she always needed someone to go along with her. So that's what I did. So, whether my kids were headed out there with her or not, I was there just about every day.
0: Yeah, any excuse. I love right. that. Yeah. And so now you are on staff year round. So, can you tell yeah. us about the Lutherland Environmental Education Program and how it serves both the summer camps and also the school systems mm-hmm. that surround y'all?
1: Sure. So, uh, MER started the environmental education program back in 1989. It was her master's thesis uh, at Slippery Rock University, which for those who were from Western Pennsylvania, that is a real school Um, and Slippery Rock. uh, And for her master's degree, this was uh, the program that she did. And so I was hired in 90, fall of 93, I guess, to assist because the program was growing so fast, they started with like 150 students on field trips in 1989, and by 19 spring of 92, they were way over a thousand and and increasing very quickly. So wow. um, I was hired as the second person on staff for that, and also asked to um, start what would become the Terra Day Homestead uh, a program in sustainability. So. Um about four years after I started, Murrah and her husband moved on to Camp Agape down in North Carolina, and she started the Agape uh, Center for Environmental Education down there. And I tried to continue everything going on up here. So uh, currently what we do is uh, we certainly help uh, teach nature to summer campers. Um, we do nature hikes, and we also have a gardening program. So... They get to experience kind of the wild side and the domestic side of environmental education while they're here. Um, and then during the school year, we offer school field trips, we offer family and scout programs. So we serve about 6,500 people. I guess that was pre-pandemic. We're still coming back to that now. But um, 6- 6,500 people a year with environmental education programs outside of summer camp.
0: That's amazing. that's such a broad scope of um programming and people that you're able to connect with
1: it is it's fun we and we serve anywhere from pre- pre k to college, so there's actually to seminary honestly, so yes, um,
0: I had seminary friends who came yes, um and yeah. did uh classes that were immersive that included that environmental education component as well yeah
1: it it's coming up in a couple of weeks, yeah.
0: Uh, that's so exciting and just so important, right? That at all ages that there's something to learn and right. grow in.
1: Yeah. yeah. And... There's always more to learn.
0: Yeah. So a formative memory for me and my environmental education um, at Lutherland is a program that was called either Stream Critters or Lake Critters based on whether you were... You guessed it right at the stream or the lake. And so since it's River Sunday here at All Places Together, can you kind of take us through what Stream Critters and Lake Critters is about and what they hope to teach to those who participate?
1: Sure. Um, Those are two of our most popular programs, believe it or not.
0: Oh, Um, I do. I mean, I go back as an adult at family camp with my niece and nephew. They love it.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, It's Great because it's such an awareness-building activity. Um, Our philosophy is that we try to build awareness first, get people outside, getting them to really look and see what is in the environment around them, um, and then offer them some knowledge, build their knowledge base, teach them something about what they're looking at. And as they learn, our hope is that they will... um, take more ownership that they'll care they'll appreciate what god has created and then move on to actually taking action to living a life that um, it follows stewardship principles and and uh tries to do what we can to take care of what god has created so in the stream and lake critters uh for summer camp it's mostly just catching stuff and yeah looking at what we catch um we often talk about the life cycle of insects, we'll talk about the difference between complete metamorphosis and incomplete metamorphosis, um, we'll look at how you can tell the health of a stream from the critters that you find. Uh, during the school year, we also add in for the schools a component where we talk about the food web and the food chains that are involved in the stream and the lake. So. There we talk about herbivores and carnivores and omnivores and producers and consumers and really hit on a lot of the things that the students are learning in the classroom.
0: That's so neat. I don't think I realized that there was like another level to that because I never went on a field trip. That's so (laughs) cool. And I just like the sheer delight of either being a kid or watching kids and adults like splash around and try to catch you know, these critters, and it's this big tower of like empty Cool Whip containers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and just like, just the joy of that, I think, I think really has that, builds that memory and like brings that awareness like you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Um, something about water helps us connect with our natural world in a, in a real basic way, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, when we think about rivers, um what mm-hmm. are some of the most important things that you would kind of encourage people of the general population to like know about the ecosystems?
1: Well, so when we talk about ecosystems, and this is one of the things we like to teach about, is um ecosystem an ecosystem is um, all the living things and all the non-living things, like water, sunlight. Air interacting in a way that sustains life. So, an ecosystem needs to be able to sustain life. And uh, with especially rivers, it's all about remembering that there's somebody else downstream Mm. from you. That whatever we do here that affects the river, it's going to not just affect the river here, but it affects the river the whole way downstream. And somebody is upstream of us, and they're going to um, be affecting the river, and then we have to deal with that. So the more we can think about the fact that there really is no such place as a way, you can't just throw something away. Um, Whatever you put on the soil can end up in the water. And we all live in a watershed. Everything's going somewhere. And... I think that's the key thing that some people think, well, it's just going to flow downstream and away from me. And that's okay. But there's somebody else, maybe a lot of people downstream from you.
0: Yeah, that the level of interconnectedness, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe if you live on a pond or a lake, like it may be more contained, but rivers go for miles and miles. I mean, we think about like the Mississippi River, like kind of the whole divide of the country.
1: Exactly, yeah, and even if you just live on a pond or a lake, probably some of that water is going into the groundwater, and
0: oh, sure, boy,
1: you never know where that's going.
0: Yeah, so it's yeah, it's all through, and it's important to be aware. Yes. So, in your corner of Western Pennsylvania, what are some of the big concerns for caring for rivers there, and and are those? Concerns that would go beyond um, that corner of the world, too.
1: Oh, some do. um, And some maybe do not, I think. Um, Certainly, trash is a big concern in our rivers here and in rivers probably everywhere else. Um, We are fortunate to have some good volunteer organizations here in my neck of the woods that are really good about trying to clean out different sections of of streams and rivers. Um, but it's a never-ending task, unfortunately. Um, one of the things that we have here that is not all over the country um, but is in Appalachia is abandoned mine drainage. Mm. Um, so coal mines, and no matter what kind of coal mine they are, um, often leak water that is polluted with iron and sulfur from other deposits that are with the coal and when that hits the air it uh, converts to sulfuric acid and and iron hydroxide and it makes the stream orange uses up all the oxygen so that nothing can live in the stream so um, that happens even to our rivers The Blacklick Creek in Indiana County, which isn't too far from us, is about as wide as most rivers, and it flows orange um, because of all the mine waste that that goes in there. Thankfully, they have a program that they are just about to start that they're going to be pumping most of that water to a treatment site, but it's going to cost millions of dollars every year because there are millions of gallons of water that will always be coming out of the ground polluted that will have to be taken care of. So here at Lutherland, we have a very small problem with that. We do have an old coal mine um, that does leak about 100 gallons a day of polluted water. And we are fortunate that we were able to get a grant from the state and we put in a uh, reclamation wetland so the water comes out of the ground now goes into a pond and then through a wetland and that's able to trap most of the pollution so that the water's uh clean when it gets to the stream and because we did that now the stream below us that for two miles was dead because of this pollution now has come back and there's trout and all kinds of aquatic life so um, there are ways, thankfully, of dealing with it. It's just a really big problem that's going to take a long time to fix.
0: And it's it doesn't sound like it's something that can be solved at the source. Like the damage is done in the mines. Like right, that's yep. done yep.
1: exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and it's something that's ongoing. You know, until those layers of minerals run out, which could be. You know, millennia.
0: So so there is, (laughs) there is a finite amount of these minerals, but it could be a a huge quantity. That finite amount could be a lot.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think I've seen. I think I've been on camp where that treatment facility is. It's been several years, and I don't think I've been back since. Maybe it sounds like a little resurrection story for those miles of stream. Oh yeah
1: yeah for sure it's been uh really exciting to see how how the stream has come back, even like we put the system in in about two thousand four, and I think by two thousand and seven the stream was back wow. so nature's really resilient,
0: yeah well, and I love um how you've even shared like two different solutions to like this mm-hmm. same issue that um I think it kind of shows that there can be like creativity and how we oh, sure. address like the issues of, of rivers and other parts of nature and that it's not necessarily like a one size fits all solution when we're trying to tackle some of this.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there, there's lots of different scale to, to the problem and lots of different problems that we can work on.
0: So you've been teaching people about the environment for several decades now. So how has what you learned and continue to learn and teach about the environment impact or shape your faith?
1: I think that the, what shapes my faith the most and, and what gives me hope is seeing the resilience, seeing that if we all do work together, and we try to do our part, that it really does make a difference. And as much as it seems like we can mess this planet up, God has really made something that truly, if we would just get our act together, we'll come back pretty fast. Like the example of the the mine here at camp, like the stream came back in three years. You know, we stopped using DDT and the eagles um, have made their way back there we can make a big difference if we just make the right decisions. Um, And I think that has helped me even respect what God has made even more to know that, that God did it with a resilience that enables us to fix some of our mistakes. There's like built in grace there somewhere.
0: I love that, that with the partnership together with other people who have all different kinds of gifts and then like partnering with God and the Holy Spirit, that there can be healing and kind of almost like forgiveness um, between people and the earth. And then on the kind of like the flip side of that question, how has your faith shaped the work that you do?
1: Oh, well, my faith is why I do what I do. That's how I ended up here. When I was in graduate school, um, trying to figure out what to do with an environmental science degree, um, I was praying a lot about where God wanted me to be and um, happened upon a random article in a journal I had to read for a class. And it said, environmental education is where... We need everybody. We need to be teaching everybody about the environment. And I thought, well, that's clearly speaking to me at this moment. So that's how I ended up here it was, was because of my faith and believing that we all need to do our part to take care of what God has made.
0: And I didn't share this in the introduction, but it's a fun overlap that where um, Todd did his graduate studies is where I did my internship and in first call like several years later. Um, yeah. But that congregation there is such an environmentally focused um, congregation, and it was fun to learn what I did there as well. And they have a garden and solar panels and all of the controlling thermostats, so it's very cold when you go to the restroom in the winter. (laughs) All of those things to help care for the environment.
1: (laughs) It's such a welcoming place as a student that that was there for a, a brief period of time.
0: Yeah. No, that's definitely a gift of theirs, too, that, like, there's beauty and the transiency that, like, you come in and people are there for a season and they embrace. And then I think and I think part of the reason they're good at that is because so many of the people are also transplants themselves. Yeah. That they try to embrace as they have been. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, throughout the Bible, there are all kinds of, like, river and water stories. Um, there are stories that happen in rivers. They walk across rivers. Rivers help kind of us understand where things were happening. I wonder if you have a favorite river story in the Bible um, or another story that really grounds the work that you do.
1: Well, I think— my favorite river story is about Jesus being baptized in the river, because as I think about it, how many people now would be comfortable being baptized in the river or the stream near their house? Mm. Would you? I, if not, maybe why not?
0: I. Uh, so, like the ro- I'm I'm taking this question literally here. Yeah. Um, the Roanoke River is what's closest to us, and there are people who swim in it in the yeah. summertime, and there's fishing and kayaking and paddleboarding. So, like, I think I would—my concern would be it's not very deep. <laughs> so I don't think it would be very comfortable in that regard to be baptized, but, like, I think at the right time of year, I, I would. But there are other places where I have lived where that would be a hard pass, be a hard right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I think about that. I also think about the fact that that after Jesus was baptized, that he then took 40 days in the wilderness. And I think, yeah, that's a good idea. 40 (laughs) days in the wilderness.
0: You're like, sign me up. I'll do that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Just get out there and and have some alone time in the wilderness. Yeah.
0: No, I love that. And I know like I've seen photos of people who have been baptized at camp have people been baptized in the stream or the lake or primarily like in the worship places with a font
1: um so primarily in the amphitheater with the little pond in the amphitheater at lutherland
0: oh they get baptized in the pond
1: well it's mostly been infant baptism okay so yeah that's a little bit easier yeah (laughs) which is good because it's only 18 inches deep the deepest. Haunting, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Again, to be immersed, that would be a yeah. little bit more of a um, physical challenge.
1: Although now that. Now that I'm thinking about it, there may have been one of our summer staff may have been baptized in the lower lake.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 That's like the swimming lake.
1: Yeah. yeah. The
0: swimming and boating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Well, even if people aren't in Pennsylvania, and even if they can't uh, physically come to Lutherland, how can folks get connected with the environmental education program and learn a little bit more about what you do?
1: Well, you can certainly go to our website, that's uh, lutherland.com, and uh, click on the tab for environmental education. You can see all of our programs and all that we offer. If you're on Facebook, you can also um, follow Luther Lynn and each week receive our What Is It Wednesdays, where we usually have nature questions for you to figure out, trying to figure out what exactly we posted there. So we try to um, find things that we can use to teach people about some of the wonders of what God has made and see if they can figure out what they are.
0: We are in fact recording on a Wednesday, and I saw it this morning, and I have no idea.
1: <laughs> so well, it, it's a very enlarged picture.
0: Yeah, um, you, yeah, yeah. It's like it's really fun, yeah, because it's usually like zoomed in or just the texture yes. of something, and so it or is a, a really fun. Angle. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it is always it's a really fun ongoing series. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Todd, for sharing your stories and your knowledge and helping us learn more about rivers.
1: Oh, it's been so enjoyable. Thank you, Colleen, for asking.
0: A prayer for rivers. God, our creator, whose glory fills our planet, help us to discern your vibrant presence among us and our kin in creation, especially in the rivers, the streams, and the waterways of earth. Help us empathize with your creatures who are suffering. Lift our spirits to rejoice with the vibrant world of the rivers. In the name of Christ, who reconciles and restores all things in creation. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experienced God's love for you and the world in today's episode. I've got some exciting news. In just a few weeks, All Places Together's vocational fellow will begin her time with us. Emma Kate Sanders is a recent St. Olaf graduate who studied studio art and Middle Eastern studies. She most recently worked at Holden Village in Washington, recruiting and organizing their teaching faculty and guest musicians. Her work with All Places Together will focus on creating content for Motherhead Media Ministries and also building community among the many folks who connect with APT in different ways. She'll start the second week of October and I am so excited to welcome her into our community. If you're listening to this episode on the Sunday that it comes out, tomorrow, September 15th, is the last day to submit a photo of your pet for this year's online pet blessing. All you've got to do to participate is send an email or a direct message on socials of your pet's name and photo. We're at All Places Together on Instagram and Facebook, and then the email is allplacestogether at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who gathered on Zoom this week for communion. I've been reflecting on all of your creation stories, and they each just opened my heart and mind in a different way about how God is present in creation and with us. Next month, our Zoom communion will be on Monday, October 16th. So mark your calendars, and the link to sign up is on our Facebook and Instagram pages if you'd like to join. As always, thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being church together is really important. Thank you to everyone who gives financially to empower the ongoing work of All Places Together. If you would like to set up a one-time gift or even a recurring gift, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give Now, click that button, and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Until next time, remember that God is with you and God loves you, wherever, whoever, and however you are.